Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. With voting rights still in jeopardy more than 56 years after marchers were brutalized by police on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, a recent study of people in the so-called Black Belt of Alabama finds some interesting perspectives. Dr. Sekou Franklin, an associate professor of political science and international relations, was one of the lead researchers on the study. We'll find out more about racial division in rural Alabama after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. American Red Cross officials are asking the MTSU community to share the love and their true blue blood with Middle Tennessee Neighbors Monday, February 7th during the 2022 Circulate the Love Valentine Blood Drive. The event, sponsored by the MTSU Red Cross Club Student Organization, is set from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. February 7th in the Keatley University Center, room 324. This blood drive is open to MTSU students, faculty, staff, alumni, friends, and neighbors from across Middle Tennessee. All donors will receive a $10 e-gift card from Amazon as thanks for their life-saving help. And Felix Cavalier, a founding member of the legendary rock band The Rascals, will be honored with the Free Speech in Music Award on Wednesday, February 23rd during a night of music and celebration at MTSU. Presented by the Free Speech Center at MTSU in partnership with University's Center for Popular Music and College of Media and Entertainment, the honor recognizes artists who've used their talents, fame, and visibility to address important social issues and who have demonstrated the power of music as a form of free speech. Cavalier will receive the award on the 23rd at 7 p.m. in Tucker Theater, located inside MTSU's Boutwell Dramatic Arts Auditorium. The evening, which is free and open to the public, will include a conversation between Cavalier and Ken Paulson, director of the Free Speech Center, and a special appearance by the artist's current touring band, Felix Cavalier's Rascals. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Sekou, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. I greatly appreciate it. This was a 43-question survey of 300 people in Dallas County, and which is where Selma is, and 200 people in surrounding counties. Who sponsored the study and how was it funded? Well, the survey was part of a joint effort uh, that involved um, several organizations, uh, really two main organizations, and then uh, a, a funder that the money was used as part of a funding mechanism that was funneled through those organizations. The two main organizations were the Selma Center for Truth, uh, Nonviolence, and Reconciliation, um, which is a, an organization that has ties to uh, uh, some of the folks who came out of the Selma movement. Um, and it's currently led by Ianka um, Sanders Jackson. Um, and, and then the other uh, partner uh, was the Black Belt Community Foundation, which is a, a, a hub that um, supports you know, several dozen organizations in Alabama Black Belt, um, not just in Selma, Dallas County, but across um, the Black Belt region. And um, the, the project was part of, or at least was connected to the uh, Kellogg, Kellogg Foundation's larger uh, project, which is titled uh, The Truth, Racial Healing and Transformation. Um, it's an initiative that the Kellogg Foundation has and which is working with uh, about a dozen um, organizations across the country 
to address issues around such as racial division, division, how to transform communities. And so the project overall was supported through um, at least at least at least at the larger level through through that that initiative. How were the questions created and decided upon? So this is an interesting uh, uh, um, uh, part of the project. The, the questions um, were, the, were were co-produced uh, through um, several, uh, we, well, you might want to say quasi-focus groups. Um, uh, we kind of refer to them as intake sessions um, that involved um, activists um, and, and advocates in Selma, Dallas County, um, primarily affiliated with the Selma Center for um, Nonviolence. We had another conversation that um, was a quasi-focus group, and I can explain what I mean by that, um, in a place called Uniontown, Alabama, which is located in Perry County. Um, and Uniontown, Alabama is about 30 minutes, 25 to 30 minutes outside of Selma. Um, and they have a, a, a huge concern around environmental justice that is kind of, uh, received national attention. So we wanted to get a sense of um, what it's like for people in the large Alabama Black Belt region to experience um, a set of social conditions that seem to be um, overwhelming and problematic. So we had that conversation too as well. When I say we, my other two uh, co-researchers co were Camille Burge from Villanova University, um, who used to live in Tennessee, by the way, and also, um, um, Princess Williams, who at the time was at the University of Michigan and now is at Amherst College. And so um, that basically is what we did. We had these focus group sessions in which the people on the ground were able to co-produce or co-develop the questions. And then we brought a series of questions, but for the most part, the survey was conducted, was the questions were developed by them. I should point out that the Selma Center also um, as part of the larger Kellogg Foundation Truth and, 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 and Racial Healing Project, they also implemented a series of programs on the ground in Selma, Dallas County. And so they had a series of projects that dealt with community engagement, uh, dialogue, um, policy, policy interventions, all designed to reduce racial divisions in Selma. So a series of questions that were embedded in the survey were designed to essentially ask the respondents, we're only focused for people in Selma and Dallas County, we're designed to ask the respondents their general impressions about those particular programs. And so um, though that set of questions were developed by people on the ground in Selma and also Selma's are working with um, an evaluator um, uh, from outside of Selma who's also helping them with those particular, also help them with those particular projects. So the questions were co-produced out of a series of conversations, focus groups, and and other 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 factors. Right. Uh, this is kind of unlike a, a traditional survey, which some of the traditional surveys you may have a focus group, and then the researchers develop the survey. In this survey, the best way to describe it is that the questions were co-produced, developed by people on the ground in Selma and Alabama Black Belt. Uh, when I lived in Alabama in the uh, mid-80s, Joe Smitherman was the mayor of Selma. Uh, he liked to paint himself as a moderate. African-Americans felt quite differently about him. And now Selma has its first African-American mayor. Uh, so the landscape does seem to have changed somewhat, but your questions actually penetrate the surface, the visceral appearance of things, right? 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, our questions looked deeper into trust in government. Um, our, our, our questions looked deeper into um, um, racial divisions, not just in Dallas County or Selma, but also across the Black, black Belt. Um, our questions look at the what somebody referred to as it moves beyond kind of, you know, asking folks about the symbolic representation of government. Ha, you know, do, or do you have confidence in in, in a mayor or, or councilman or members of county commissions? Some of in many cases, some of them are the first, you know, sec, first generation or, or going to the second generation of, of African-Americans that led that led Selma and led parts of Dallas County. Our questions go deeper into looking at, you know, the responsiveness of government. Do you feel that there's opportunities for recreational activities? Do you support, for example, um, do you think there should be a push for, for example, living wage mechanisms? What about um, crime prevention versus punishment? So ours looks more at the substance beyond, beyond just kind of the surface level questions about representation. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back. This is MTSU on the record. Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, helps college women prepare for and become involved in science-related careers. WISE nurtures women's interest in these fascinating and critical fields and provides mentoring and networking opportunities. The group's main goal is to assure women of their importance in all scientific and technical fields and to promote equal opportunity and treatment of women in science. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, WISE advisor. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The Army ROTC College Program at MTSU prepares students mentally, physically, and emotionally to become leaders and promotes virtues of duty, honor, country. ROTC cadets are involved in all academic disciplines, athletics, and student organizations at MTSU. Full scholarships and tuition assistance are awarded based on merit. All cadets upon graduation will serve their country as second lieutenants either in the Army, Army Reserve, or Army National Guard. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking with Dr. Sekou Franklin, Associate Professor of Political Science and International Relations, and a study in which he was one of the lead researchers about uh, the so-called Black Belt of Alabama, which would be uh, Dallas County, where Soma, Alabama is located, and surrounding counties. Uh, In Dallas County, Blacks pointed to poverty and lack of community resources as causes of violence, while whites cited laziness, no family support, and hopelessness. What do you make of that, that the particular results on that question as causes of violence? The folks down in Selma were interested in issues of, of what, what we in political science would call racial polarization, what they would call, they would call it racial divisions, and how do you, how do you address that? And so... Um, that set of questions, or those set of questions in particular, were questions that um, are typically asked, interestingly enough, in social science surveys. So once we got a sense that the Selma folks and the folks in Dallas County wanted to ask that, wanted to address that issue, we kind of pulled that those set of questions from questions that are typically asked in in, in social surveys. And so the, the questions typically explain, you know, ask this question: Do you think that that you know uh, what's going on with African Americans, for example, or what's going on with the whites, or what's going on with Latinx uh, persons? Do you think, in terms of their the challenges that they have at advancing, do you think it's a result of of laziness, or do you think it's a result of structural issues like racism? And so, yeah. So what we found was that there was a, at least you know statistical significance in terms of how blacks and whites felt in that particular uh, arena. Whites were more likely to state that 
African-Americans have difficulty getting ahead because of laziness or something along those lines. But that question, interestingly enough, is, and that outcome is interesting enough, something that we find across the country. Mm -hmm. Across the country, we'll find that for the most part, those kinds of uh, forms of racial animus exist in, in many social science, science surveys across the country. Interestingly, both blacks and whites in the survey said they distrust government officials, as you alluded to earlier, and say people who live in rural areas are not well served by politicians. Uh, talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're talking about communities that um, that um, where that have uh, weak, weak or poor government, poor resources that are flowing into communities. Um, Communities that have uh, that have difficulty getting the kind of responses that um, maybe large or urban or large larger cities have, um, and in a place like Selma, you're talking about a community that's not just Selma but other parts of communities that are that have uh, heightened levels of, of poverty, so to speak. Um, and so, along with all the other factors that we just that we we talk about. Yes, we did find that um, that that both blacks and whites um, typically have a distrust in government, um, and that distrust is again not surprising to those of us who do research. But that distrust typically is what you find in communities that are plagued by by poverty, by 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 by, by low resources, um, by by poor infrastructure. And so that wasn't necessarily surprising to, to, uh, to, to, to me as a researcher, but for activists and advocates on the ground in Selma and in Dallas County and, uh, and across the Black Belt, what that offers potentially is an opening um, in which you can potentially find African-Americans and whites who might be more willing to coalesce or work together or, or bridge racial divides if those racial divides and coalescing can be focused on improving government resources, improving government accountability, improving, improving government responsiveness, so-called so good government good government issues that, that may be um, issues of in which interests can converge around. So that's, that's really, I think, why that, that question is important for those, particularly for those folks in Selma um, and who are interested in, in bridging racial divisions that this potentially offers a, a way to converge those interests of blacks and whites. Um, if, if those interests are focusing on good, good government. Any uh, issue on which people can come together uh, in an era of such intense polarization as we're experiencing right now, it has to be an encouraging sign. Yes. 87% of Blacks support Black Lives Matter compared to 40% of whites. Uh, does this speak to the way whites feel about uh, the police compared to the way African-Americans feel about the uh, police-involved shootings uh, about which Black Lives Matter is deeply concerned? There's racial divisions around, around policing issues. That's one issue. But there's also the, the representation uh, of Black Lives Matter in the national consciousness and also in the, in the media and how that representation is perceived differently among blacks and whites. This survey was actually disseminated in December of 2020. Um, and and we, we wrote the results up, we wrote the, re the report was, was actually completed by the way in, in May of 2021. It's just that it wasn't released until, until 
the fall of 2021 to serve. So the results reveal not just a longstanding division between how blacks and whites see policing, but they also reveal the representation of, of Black Lives Matter. And it's quite interesting because, um, you know, if you look at the national discussion of Black Lives Matter, uh, particularly in the early summer of 2020, and if you look at the way that Black Lives Matter was became a political football in the, in the, in the elections heading into November, we see also a difference um, across the country. So at least the way I would see it is that if you had asked that question, um, maybe in June of 2020, uh, right after the, uh, the murder of George Floyd, um, you might've had uh, a softening of, of, of opinions among whites, but by the December, November of 2020, I'm sorry, Black Lives Matter become a political football, particularly among, among whites who are being primed by political leaders to perceive Black Lives Matter as um, problematic. And the expression defund the police and the extent to which certain politicians would uh, exploit that phrase uh, probably contributed to the way whites perceive Black Lives Matter, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, there's some interesting data, you know, um, that we can, there's some interesting data about about, uh, Black Lives Matter. I mean, one of the interesting points is that um, there's been some analysis of television ads and radio ads regarding Black Lives Matter in the in the November 2020 elections. Republicans in particular were very skilled at really flooding the, the political universe with ads that said that certain people, Democrats or Blacks or whatever you want to say, how you want to describe it, uh, want to defund the police, um, all kinds of things. So it absolutely what, what you find in those attitudes among whites is that kind of priming mechanism. Uh, more than 50% of both blacks and whites say schools in the area are racially segregated. How, do, how does that happen all these decades after Brown v. Board of Ed? It happens for a lot of different reasons. And, and this kind of leads to some other research I've done in that particular area. I mean, in the, in the South, you had history, uh, particularly in the 70s, um, once uh, desegregation really kicked in of uh, private schools emerging, uh, Christian white so-called Christian academies, which were uh, primarily lily white and, and intended to circumvent uh, civil rights oversight, oversight that was mandated in the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Um, so you had all those kinds of ways in which whites pulled their, pulled, pulled their kids out of schools such as Selma, for example, and found a way to position their kids or have their kids go, go to other schools. You have de facto patterns of segregation that exist and that still exist in which African-Americans are still segregated. And in places like Selma, you see some of the most intense patterns of segregation because racial segregation, at least racial separation, converges with poverty. And so Selma is one of the uh, highest poverty cities, small industrial cities, rural, rural industrial cities, if you use that term, um, in the South. And if you look at Selma, for example, Selma, based upon some comparative indexes, Sarah Selma is similar to which, similar to Clarksdale, Mississippi, that some people have even said that Selma's social indexes in terms of economic is- issues um, are similar to uh, Navajo Nation, so to speak. So you have racial segregation is informed or being fueled by poverty. And so even this, so, so today in Selma, when you, when, you, when you go to the public schools, when you go to the schools, then you find, you know, still patterns of, of intense segregation. In fact, the most interesting part about your question is that um, the executive director of Selma, who uh, is doing a fantastic job, who really uh, uh, fueled this study, actually was involved in a, uh, her family was has been involved in a major uh, educational justice protest, really spanning, spanning 30 years to try to get 
resources into the hands of parents and communities um, to try to deal with these, some of these basic issues of segregation. So, yes. Time for another break. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Middle East-centered MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer a new interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The Middle Tennessee Writing Project is a program that fosters the effective teaching of writing to students in kindergarten through high school. The project hosts annual summer institutes where teacher participants teach and learn from each other effective techniques of teaching writing. In addition, the project sponsors summer writers camps for youngsters. MTSU is one of 185 sites of the National Writing Project and one of only two in Tennessee. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about a study done of both African-Americans and whites in the Black Belt of Alabama with one of the lead researchers, Dr. Sekou Franklin, an associate professor of political science and international relations. A majority of both African-Americans and whites who were surveyed say they would support a policy requiring the city to pay all city employees a living wage. Surely this is another point of potential unification or a, a, a point that can help bridge the divide the political polarization. Yeah, I mean, th- this was an interesting finding, and 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 I, and I think what the the Selma Center advocates or the advocates down there in Selma wanted to do was not just to uh, tell the bad story of racial polarization, but to tell potentially points of convergence and coalition building. Many blacks, most most blacks, and, and many whites, not all whites, but but enough whites to to essentially build out some commonality between the between the racial groups. This support. Um, paying their city or, city or county employees some, some a living wage. Now, um, we could ask a lot of different a lot of we could ask that question a lot of different ways. So note that the difference between support for living wages between public sector employment, a government government employment versus, say, for example, private sector employment. There's probably there would probably have been a difference if we'd asked the question that way. That means that you find that persons may not support living wages in the private sector because they feel that it's over-regulation versus say the public sector in which you have government employees. And then, and then, and then if have we asked some additional questions such as would you support, uh, you know, an increase in taxes to pay for a living wage for, for municipal employees, we might've got a difference, differences of opinion, but those policy issues have to be worked out the way they have to be worked out. But at the surface level, or at least, I'm sorry, at the, at a basic starting point, we did find that there were enough blacks and whites who supported living wage for municipal or government employees enough to have some level of commonality and potentially some mobilization around that issue in these various counties across the Alabama Black Belt. Uh, what will change? What will be implemented? There could be some measure of congressional hearings in the region around the conditions in the Alabama Black Belt and the conditions particularly of, 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 rural, of rural Black communities. Again, that hasn't happened, but that was our hope. Um, number two is that, and I had a, actually a third idea, third uh, hopeful about it. Number two is that the level of an investment in the Alabama Black Belt and similar communities, like the Mississippi Delta, for example, like the Georgia Black Belt, communities that are kind of parallel to what we find in Alabama Black Belt, that we would give a level of, the, of investment 
akin to what we find in Appalachia. So for example, in the 1960s, we had the creation of the Appalachian Region Commission, Regional Commission, which created uh, an investment portfolio for distressed communities. And my hope was that, or my hope still is that this study could be part of a conversation in which we could have federal, a federal investment in, in resolving some of the economic despair that exists in Alabama Black Belt, similar communities through the organization of, of similar kinds of commission or a kind of investment. But number three, what we wanted to do was to contribute to, to an overhaul of a narrative. And a narrative that we find in a national consciousness is that when we talk about rule, rule oftentimes is synonymous with white conservatism. And when we talk about urban, urban is a code for liberal blacks or liberal Latinos or whites who are cosmopolitan. Our hope was to re reshape the narrative, at least be part of a process that contributes to that to say, no, there are, you know, rule is also black working class, right? Rule um, is also, is also comprised rule. There's a there's a traditional there's a, there's a tradition in rural rural and rural and southern rural communities that's just not about whites who have racial animus. No doubt about it. All the re researches, historical research, civil rights movement, Native American Native American research demonstrates that again, racial racism, white supremacy, racial animus, however you want to describe it, is foundational to the southern the history of the South. But also foundational to the history of the South is is a resistance emanating from black working class communities, a resistance that at times has actually tried to build multiracial coalitions or biracial coalitions. And, and as part of this, what we wanted to do was to reshape the narrative across the country to make the argument that rule is not just white conservative, rule is also black working class, people of goodwill um, who are trying to make a difference and trying to make a difference not just in segregated communities or in a segregated space, a landscape, but to try to make a difference across racial lines. Is there a place online where people can go if they want to read the survey results? Yes, they can go to the website of the Black Belt Community Foundation. Um, if they were just to Google that website, they can, they'll, there'll be several links that will link them to the actual document of, of, that, of the study. Dr. Seku Franklin. Associate Professor of Political Science and International Relations. Thanks for being our guest today on MTSU on the Record. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. We'll be right back. MTSU's Jewish and Holocaust Studies minor offers undergraduate students a chance to study the culture and religion of the Jewish people and the Holocaust in an interdisciplinary program. Studies include history and culture, theology and philosophy, and the arts and social sciences. Courses tackle vital topics central to local and global awareness, including multiculturalism and the meanings of diversity, religious tolerance, and genocide. For the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TERA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. TERA wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. Many MTSU faculty belong to TERA, which has members in 20 states and 7 nations. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. 
Randy Weiler has the middle moment. With a variety of special events, competitions, and more, the MTSU School of Agriculture's students and faculty are in the midst of another busy year. Jessica Carter, director of the Ag Department, shares details. We started out with Raider Roundup in September, where we hosted about 450 high school agriculture students that were all across the state of Tennessee. In addition, our judging teams and our competitive teams have been very active. That would include soil judging, poultry judging, horse judging, the stock horse team, and the equestrian team. Uh, we had students and faculty attend the National FFA Convention, and they participated in the Alpha Tall Alpha Conclave, where they placed in several events. And we had four students and a faculty member that received a scholarship to attend the Agriculture Future of America Leaders Conference in Kansas City. And finally, we hosted the first ever Agriculture Education Conclave, where we um, hosted our Ag Ed students, and we had a keynote speaker, um, Dr. Cliff Ricketts, who is a retired professor. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com, Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.